Welcome to Elevate Life Church. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy another elevated message. Here's Senior Pastor Sergio Lamone. in the Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 24, we've been talking about a word here called first things first. And what really birthed this word in my spirit is that at the beginning of a new year, we all set goals and you should. We all have vision and you should. Maybe some of you have said, man, God, this is going to be the year that my business takes off. This is going to be the year that we get out of debt. This is going to be the year where we shed 20 pounds. This is going to be the year where I get myself in better health. I find a man. I get a whatever it is. This is going to be the year that we start our family. Whatever it is, okay? Praise God. I'm in agreement with you in whatever goals and dreams you want to accomplish this year. But we got to take care of first things first. Tell your neighbor first things first. So we looked at last week, Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 24. Jesus is preaching here. And he said, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Now he breaks it down there. He's talking about the old covenant in comparison with the new. And then he says this, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And so God is giving us some instructions here. Jesus is giving us some instructions here that before you do anything, reconcile your relationships. So last week we talked about the first thing you want to do in the new year is you want to reconcile your relationships. What are we talking about? We're talking about cleaning the slate. Who you mad at? Fix it. Who you got problems with? Release them. Come on. Christians are not supposed to have beef. Can I get an amen on this? You ain't Biggie Smalls. This ain't, you ain't Tupac. This ain't East versus West Coast. Come on. We don't have beef as believers. Jesus says we should be at peace with our brothers and sisters. Now, I, I'm not preaching to you pie in the sky. I get it. We all have issues with other people. I've had, actually this past week, I had to reconcile as I was preaching to you on Sunday. God said to me, this means you too. So I had to search my heart and I had to do some reconciling this week because you know what? Stuff happens in life. People don't get along. Disagreements happen. People get hurt. We hurt people. All these things. But here's what Jesus is trying to say. Before you do anything, fix things with your brothers and sisters. And we've got Christians, right? They want to walk through life. They want to go through life mad, bitter, angry, and just trying to get their mission met, trying to meet their goals, trying to get stuff done, all the while they got hate against their brothers and sisters. Jesus says it don't work like that. First things first, go reconcile. And so we talked about that last week. Why going into the new year, don't take baggage from the years past. If you got problems with people, 
Reconcile it. If you're still mad at your ex, get over it. Reconcile it. Forgive them. Move past it. Don't carry all this baggage and, and anger and things. It's no way to start the year. So we talked about that. The second thing we talked about is once you've reconciled your relationships and make sure you ain't got beef with nobody, you're not mad at nobody, you're not carrying bitterness and unforgiveness with nobody, the second thing you got to do is repent. Come on, everybody say that word. Repent. Repent's a good word. It's not a bad word. It's actually a password. Repentance will always open new levels of life to you. Because see, all repentance means is, it's, it's, it literally means this, to change your mind, to go the other way, to experience a change of heart. And I shared with you, and I've shared with you before, when I was 19 years old, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Since that time, everything changed. Nothing was the same, but it was because I repented of the lifestyle I was living. But can I tell you, there are at least two or three other times God tried to get a hold of me. I was in a service, heard the word. I felt bad about the life I was living and how I was living in sin and in adultery and all those kinds of things. And and I came to the altar and I said, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. But when I left church, I didn't change anything. I still hung out with the same people. I still was going to the same places. Friday night, you could still catch me at the same clubs. See, my friends, that's not repentance. That's simply feeling sorry. And feeling sorry for your sins is not the same as repenting of your sins. What made the last time that I gave my life to the Lord at 19 years old different is I remember walking out of the church and I said, never again will I be in this situation. And I stopped hanging out with the people that I used to hang out with. I stopped going to the places I used to go to. Everything changed and I got on another path. And I told myself, I am gonna be at church every single time the doors are open. I am not gonna miss church service. I am gonna stop going to these places. And I literally got on another path and changed the way I thought about life. Now we have a lot of people here that feel sorry for sleeping with their boyfriend. How many know that's a sin? Smile at me, church. It's all right. I'm not talking about you. And if I am, just look like I don't and I'm not and people won't know. So we come to church and we feel bad. The presence of God comes in and we feel bad and got, God, I'm so sorry for sleeping with my boyfriend. I know that's not right. I know he's not my husband. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. But then you go home and you're hanging out and he's still living with you. And or you, you, you go home and you're still over the house 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night. Come on, somebody. Netflix and chilling. Amen. <laughs> One o'clock, you're still over there with your boyfriend and girlfriend. See, that's not repenting because you know what's going to happen? The same thing that's been happening. You're going to keep having sex with somebody that's not your husband or your, or your wife. Repentance is... Father, I repent. I'm not doing that no more. 10 o'clock rolls around. 9 o'clock rolls around. You're at her house. You go, baby, I got to go. She goes, why? The movie's just starting. Yeah, but you know what? We ain't doing this no more. I'll watch the movie in the day another time. Come on. Good night. Good night, kiss. And you go home. Folks, that's repentance. And the church said, and there's a difference. I think we've been trying to think that Feeling remorse or feeling sorry is the same thing, and it's not. Repentance means I change my mind, and I get off the path I was on, and I go the other way. It's like somebody saying, I'm done drinking. I repent of being an alcoholic. I'm done smoking. I ain't going to smoke these trees no more. But yet, you go watch the game this afternoon, with everybody that's lighting up. Good luck with that. Because you're probably going to be like, all right, let me get a hit real quick. Let me get a hit. (laughs) Repentance looks like this. Yeah, the game's on, but I'm going to watch it at home because I know if I go watch the game with the homies, I'm going to light up. So what does the path look like of repentance for you? 
Well, I don't want to, I'm giving up alcohol altogether. I want to be an alcoholic no more. Okay, so you stop going to bars. Maybe you should go to AA. Maybe you should come to recovery on Thursday nights. Oh, no, 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 I'm not that far. See, he got all these excuses. Listen, repentance means go the other way. And so whatever the other way looks like, get on that path. And the church said, Amen. and we talked about that. And, and then last week we left, up, left out uh, on number three here, which is the third thing. After you've re- reconciled relationships, which means forgive, <clears throat> after we've repented, the third thing you want to do is you want to build an altar and provide a sacrifice. And this is the part I want to continue on today. Because in America today, there is the uh, uh, erroneous belief system that you can serve God without offering him sacrifices. And so this has really creeped into the psyche of America that I can serve God and it costs me nothing. And I think that's been one of the uh, sad things that has happened in the age of the megachurch. In the age of the megachurch, which has been the last 20 to 30 years, as these incredible churches have risen up of thousands, it has produced a portion of the population that thinks that church is about them. They think going to church is about me getting my needs met. And we've completely lost the concept that we come to church to give him something because he's God, not you. He comes first, not you. And so we've created a culture in America where people come to church not to worship God, not to seek God. They come to church to get a word, to get a blessing, and so there's people that will come into church with the, the, the only reason they're here is to take and not give. And I'm just telling you folks, that kind of Christianity, you ready? It doesn't work. Let me take it a step further. That kind of Christianity is lame. It's lame. Tell your neighbor, don't be lame. What do I mean by lame? Well, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, lame meant you can't walk right. When somebody was lame, they couldn't walk right. And we got a generation of Christians that their Christian walk ain't right. Call ourselves Christians, but ain't nothing different than you and Joe Blow who don't even go to church. They smoke trees, you smoke trees. They get drunk, you get drunk. They sleep with their boyfriends and girlfriends, you sleep with your boyfriends and girlfriends. The only difference is you come to church. It ought not be that way. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so what begins to happen in 2023 is you got a whole brand of Christianity that gives God nothing but only comes and expects to take from God. It's kind of how we pick our churches, right? And many times our churches, we're, we're responsible because we try to, try to get you to come to our churches by promising you comfort. Come to our church. We've got great praise and worship. Come to our church. Free coffee in the lobby. Come to our church. Chairs are comfortable. We'll take care of your kids for an hour. Just get here. See, and we paint these pictures like, come because it's for you. but it should be about him. It's God's house, not our house. But that, that concept's been lost in the last 20, 30 years. So I know Christians, that, so-called Christians, they go to a large, this is not a slam against mega churches. May, one day, maybe we'll be a mega church. Who knows? My pastor pastors 17,000 people in the, in the city of El Paso, Texas. Uh, and I'm not against these churches. And in our conversations, he even tells me the same thing, that there's a type of people in those churches that go to church, sit way in the back, don't give in the offering, 
Don't worship when it's time for praise and worship. And don't serve in any way to build that house. They simply go to church and they do it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And somehow they think that they've done something great. Yeah, I go to church every Sunday. Yes, but you go to church, but you simply take from the church and you don't give God anything. Last week, I taught you about our forefathers, right? Noah, Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. God, uh, in, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 8, 20 through 22. God saves Noah and his family. You all know the story. He tells them to build an ark, fills it with all the animals two by two. But then God also puts in extra animals in the ark. I know we see all the cartoons two by two, but the clean animals and the clean birds, it says there were seven of each of those. And so when the floods recede, dry land is there. The first thing Noah does when he gets out of the ark, because he's super thankful, he could finally get away from these smelly animals. Come on. Could finally get away from all the arguing and fighting from his kids and his kids' wives. Come on, somebody. Let's be real. We put you and your family in an ark for 40 days and 40 nights. Somebody might die. Amen. Somebody's getting cut. Not to mention it smells like horse poop and cow poop and lion poop, whatever that smells like. I mean, everything's in there, guys. First thing he does as he steps out of that ark, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 and 22, he builds an altar to the Lord. Builds an altar to the Lord. See, when you read the Bible, there's a concept that everybody that followed God had, and that is this. Every follower of God had an altar. I posed the question to you last week. Do you have an altar? The question should be yes. I'm not talking about an altar like in Coco. Come on, somebody. This ain't Dia de los Muertos, amen? That's witchcraft, y'all. Just letting you know. Y'all need to burn those DVDs. No, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You know, my, my Mexican folks, my, my, my heritage, they like to celebrate the dead and they, and they build these altars in their, in their houses of those that have passed on. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having an altar to the Lord. You see, the altar that we're supposed to have in the new covenant is supposed to be the local church. And when you become a member of a local church, you are saying, this place is my altar. This is the place where I will come and I will offer sacrifices unto my God. So we saw this with Noah. First thing he does, opens those doors comes out, he begins to worship God, he builds an altar. What does he do with that altar? The Bible says he then went and he sacrificed of every clean bird, every clean animal, laid it on the altar. Now, what was he giving us a, 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 a glimpse of? You know what he was giving us a glimpse of? He was giving us a glimpse of giving God your best. What was the most precious thing on the planet at that time? It wasn't money. It wasn't water. Guess what it was? It was life. I want you to catch this today because the average Christian, and nowhere are we called to be average, the average Christian likes to have conversations like this with God. Well, God, I want to give, but you know, I don't have a lot. I said this before and I'll keep saying it. If you don't have a lot, that's okay. It doesn't take a lot. What we need to do is remove all the excuses that we have of not sacrificing to the Lord. Noah had the greatest excuse of all. He could have built that altar and go, now God, listen, I would sacrifice but I know you just went through all this trouble to save these animals. What's it look like if I, now I'm going to kill them? God, what's that going to look like? You saved all those animals and I'm over here barbecuing them. 
See, that would have been our mentality. Because we get a little, we're just like, oh, well, God understands. No, you know what God understands? You don't know who he is. That's what you show him when you, don't, when, when you act that way and you have these excuses. Noah gave him his best. And he took those animals. And even though those animals, do you know how valuable each animal that he sacrificed to the Lord was? And he sacrificed it anyway. He sacrificed it anyway. You want to know why? Because he was saying something with his sacrifice. He was giving God worship. Doesn't stop there. Genesis 12, 7, we saw that Abram, God comes to Abram. He's not Abraham yet. And Abram was a sinner just like you and I, maybe worse than some of us. Because not only was Abram, was, was he a sinner, he was an idol maker, the Bible says, which means that he was involved in the worship of other gods. And the, and, the, and the making of idols, he would sell to other countries and other lands and cause them to worship the gods that he made with his own hands. He was against God. God shows up to him and he says, Abram, to you and your descendants, I'm going to give this land and I'm going to bless you. Abram's first response, he builds an altar to the Lord. Why have we gotten away from this? Why have we allowed a mentality in our lives that causes us to serve God without bringing anything to him? I'll tell you what causes that. You don't know the God you serve. The other thing that causes that is ignorance of how the kingdom works. When you understand how the kingdom works, you understand why God requires these things of us. Going back to our first point of reconciling relationships and forgiving. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, unless you forgive others, I won't forgive you. What is he saying there? He's putting a kingdom concept in place that what you do for other people, God can then do for you. So he pleads with us, forgive your brother, forgive your ex, forgive your mom, forgive your dad. Because unless you forgive them, my brothers and sisters, I can't pour my grace and forgiveness out on you. See, it's a principle that anything you need from the Lord, you first have to pour out first. Think about this, before Jesus could ever come and sacrifice himself on that cross, God comes to Abraham and he says this, give me Isaac, your only son. And Abram, Abraham is faced with the same predicament that you and I are. Am I going to give God the required sacrifice? Abraham could have dipped out right there. No, 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 no. I'm not giving this up. God, I'll still follow you. I'll still rock with you. But no, 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 I'm not going to do that. But see, I believe Abraham knew something about God. Because since he had met the God of the universe, God kept telling him, I'm going to bless you. And not only did God tell him that, he began to pour out blessing. I'm blessing. I'm blessing. I'm blessing. And so by the time Isaac comes... Abraham is so thankful to the Lord. He's like, God, you said you would give me a son and you did it. He begins to learn the character of the God he serves. Why are we so slow to learn his character? Blessing after blessing, Abraham gets. His lands expand. Everything he touches turns to gold. And now he finally gets the son and God says, okay, I need you to go on this mountain and I need you to offer Isaac as your sacrifice to me. What was God saying? Give me your best. What we know on the other side of this thing is this. God knew 
if, Abram, if Abraham will give me his best, then I can give him my best. His best was Jesus. The plan was set in motion when Abraham had the understanding, I'm not just serving any God. I serve a good God. Come on, tell your neighbor you serve a good God. Come on, we sing about it. He's a good, good father. Y'all don't believe that? You just sing it? It's who you are, crying and everything. And then it's offering time and you're like, oh, yeah, well, you know. I know you understand, God. You're a good, good father. Hey, we need volunteers in the kids' ministry. Ooh, uh, I, I just ain't got time for none of that, God. I, I know you understand. No, what we understand is you don't understand how God works. You don't understand how God, how good God is. What I've come to learn is this. Anytime God asks me for something, it's not because he's trying to take something from me. He's trying to get something to me. Every single time. Every single time God's put a demand on my family, on me, and he said, I need this from you. And anytime I've made a pledge or I've given something above and beyond the tithe, it's not because God needs what I have. It's because God is going, I want to pour out a blessing, but because I'm in partnership with you, I need you to do your part first. What do the scriptures say? Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. Who goes first? You. You go first. But here's the problem. We don't trust God. So we don't do anything. And guess what you've just done? You've locked God in a position of not doing anything on your behalf. The thing that your father God loves is to be trusted. The thing that your father God loves is to be believed. Are you getting anything this morning? And so we got to build this altar. And so Abram builds this altar and he builds an altar and he goes and sacrifices his son, Isaac. And God says, hold up, wait a minute. You don't have to do this. This was a test. Now that I know you won't withhold your son, I can't withhold my son from you either. And he sends Jesus. That's the God we serve. Jesus breaks it down even further, right? In the new, in the new covenant, in uh, Luke chapter six, jump on down to that. Luke six, 36 and 38. He breaks it down even further, what I'm talking to you about, when he tells us, be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you won't be judged. Do not condemn and you won't be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Are you seeing the pattern? If you do this, you'll receive this. But then he breaks it down. He says this, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So now Jesus takes us into the kingdom and he says, this is how God works. Whatever you give is going to come back to you in greater quality, quantity, and kind. So give. Do you need more money? Give. Do you need more grace? Give. Do you need more happiness? Give out some happiness. Do you need help in life? Go help somebody else. Do you need forgiveness? And we should all say absolutely we do. Then forgive other people. Because whatever you give out is coming back to you in greater quality, quantity, and kind. So now we get to the place of a relationship with God and nobody wants to give God anything. That's the dumbest way to live because you don't understand that when God is asking something of you, 
He is about to bless your socks off. Why would you say no? We see this kingdom process played out in the book of 2 Kings in the life of Solomon. Solomon, who is the richest man, the wisest man who ever lived, gets a visit from an African queen by the name of the Queen of Sheba. And the Queen of Sheba has heard about this king in Israel who is the richest king. And she goes, I got to meet this guy. She doesn't show up empty-handed. The Bible takes its time to list all the gifts she brought the richest king in the world. She brought cattle, she brought sheep, she brought gold, she brought silver, she brought bronze, she brought servants, she brought women, she brought all this stuff. Now, why would she bring this to the richest king on the planet? He don't need it. I'll tell you why she brought it. Because she she understood the kingdom dynamic that when you are in the presence of a king, you never come empty-handed. She understood that in the presence of a king, I must present a gift. She understood that when you give to a king, this is what you got to catch. When you give to a king, he is obligated to outgive you. She was no dummy. She knew what she was doing. She said, man, if he's so great, how is he going to bless me? And she got her greatest offering. Solomon looked at that and he said, oh, that's cute. That's cute. Really nice. Thank you. I received that. Now let me give you my gift. And the Bible lists that the gift that the queen of Sheba left with was far greater than what she gave to the king. See, what I'm trying to get is a church full of Christians that understand that this is how the kingdom works. You cannot outgive God. And every time you give something to God, he is obligated by his word to now outgive you. 2023, we got people arguing about, is the tithe the new covenant? I'm like, people, you're asking the wrong question. The tithe is our superpower. The tithe is how we touch God. The tithe is how God funds and finances our life. And the tithe is also how you and I build our altar. And without an altar, you can't give a sacrifice. Are you tracking with me today? And so the concept of building God an altar and sacrificing to him is not because God needs your stuff. He needs your obedience because your obedience is called faith. And faith always unlocks what is in God's hands. So the quickest way to keep God from moving in your life is to not present God with anything. So we've got to learn how to have a Christianity where we sacrifice. We've got to learn how to sacrifice and be happy about it. We've got to learn to throw out every little excuse. Well, pastor, you know, I I don't make a lot. Sister, it don't take a lot. We got people in this church that tithe off of their welfare check. They get a check every week from the government and they use that to survive, but they're always giving to the Lord to build their altar. We've got people, we got kids, teenagers that fry burgers during the week, deliver DoorDash. They come and off of their little $200 check, they bring God a tithe. Because they understand with that, God can now bless my life. We see this all throughout the scriptures. I told you about Noah. Then it was Abraham. Then it was Moses. First thing Moses does in Exodus 28, after he gets the Ten Commandments, he builds an altar. He sacrifices. 
Moses dies. Joshua goes into the promised land. He's about to take the first step in taking the promised land. And God stops him and says, hold up, before you go and before you conquer this great city of Jericho, you know you got a lot of other ites in the land. You got the Hittites, the Jebusites, all these other ites. You got a lot more battles to fight. So here's what I want you to do. This first city, Jericho, I don't want you to take any of the spoils. Don't take their goats, don't take their calves, don't have a barbecue, don't take their gold, don't take their silver. All of that is mine. Capiche? Joshua says, Capiche. Jericho's yours. You know what Jericho was? That was Joshua's tithe. So he tells the people, guys, we're going to conquer this city and you're going to see gold and you're going to see silver and you're going to see animals. Don't touch none of it. It's God's. But there was one guy. How many know in every crew there's that one guy? Tell your neighbor, don't be that one guy. Every crew, there's that one guy, right? Okay, cool. We ain't touching nothing. All right. He goes in. He gets into a tent where there's gold and silver. And that fool says, man, let me just take a little bit of this back to the crib. He takes it, puts it in his tent. Nobody knows but God knew. And the Bible says Jericho was conquered. Israel celebrates. They go, okay, on to the next one. Come on. Boom. Let's go get them. It's a smaller city. They go and they get their lights clocked out. It was a slaughter. Joshua's going, what's going on? What happened? He goes back to God and God tells him, well, I'll tell you what happened. You guys didn't keep the covenant. You didn't give me what I required. Joshua was like, what are you talking about? I told everybody not to touch any of the spoils. He goes, yeah, but somebody didn't listen. And because of that, they brought the whole land under a curse. Guys, let me just tell you something. Much has been said about the tithe and curses. In, in, in the New Testament, right, Jesus broke the curse over our lives. But that doesn't mean that our disobedience cannot set things in motion that Jesus has broken already. Let me prove it to you. The Bible tells us that he took 39 stripes for our healing, right? He he took 39 stripes so we could be healed of disease, right? But yet we still suffer with sickness, correct? So even though the curse was broken, the curse still exists. And when you choose not to give God what is his, I hate to tell you this, but you're not functioning under the blessing that he wanted us to. We're functioning back under the thing that he broke. Are you tracking with me today? Let me prove it to you in the word of God. So here's some things I want want you to understand about what I'm talking to you about today. That sacrifice is a good thing. Write this down. Sacrifice is worship. It's worship. The reason we sacrifice, it's because it's how we worship God. It's how we give him praise. People don't understand this today. Can I help you today? Can I help you today? Some of you are like, I don't know. What are you going to say? As I've said before, and we say this here at this church all the time, there are three things that you're required to give back to God. And that is your time, your talent, and your treasure. Some Christians go to church and do nothing for the church, do nothing for God. Praise and worship, I've said this before, it's not for you, it's for him. If you bring nothing to the Lord, guess what you can bring him? Your praise, your worship. When Sky and the team, Christine, Jonathan, they're up here and they're playing music, you know what they're supposed to be doing? Leading us in praise and worship. They're supposed to be leading us. What is praise and worship? It is your offering to the Lord. But some of us, when praise and worship is going on, we're just enjoying it. Hey, this is pretty cool. Oh, I like this song. No, it's not for you. It's an opportunity for you to present God a sacrifice of praise. God, you have been so good to me. 
I'm going to clap my hands in this place today. God, you've been so good to me. I'm going to sing these songs that I don't know. So I'm going to read them off the words on the screen. Come on, somebody. God, you've been so good to me, even though I don't like this song. I'm going to sing it anyway. But you know what a lot of people do? Come into church. Music's going. You might get a little bit of this. Somebody gets up. Lift your hands. Don't do any, any, any giving. You didn't give God any praise. It gets even worse, right? Because so many of us come to church late. Just look straight ahead. Nobody will know I'm talking to you. What do you do when you come to church late during the praise and worship? You miss out on what you should be giving to God, which is your praise. Some people say, oh, we got to church late, but he hasn't started preaching yet, so we're good. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, uh, we're late, but if we, if, we, if we hurry, we can get there before the preaching starts and we'll be okay. No. No. Because you've missed the most important part. Because remember how this works in the kingdom. You draw nigh to him, he draws nigh to you. You give to him, he gives to you. But when you don't give, he has nothing to pour back on you. So here's what's supposed to happen. We come in, we give God our praise. And then the, and then the word starts and God gives you revelation. God gives you a word. God gives you a blessing. But it doesn't start until you give first. That's why we have praise and worship first. This ain't the Jimmy Kimmel show. These ain't the roots up here, just kind of getting it going. Let's get the room going. Because in just a minute, Pastor Sergio is going to come out and give you a word. Come on. And so people just, they just listen to the band. They just listen to the singing as if it's a preliminary. People are still coming in and out. People are getting here late. Hey, listen, God's worthy enough for you to get to church on time. You don't go to the movies uh, late. unless you got a problem, right? People that go to the movies late, they got a real problem. You don't get to the Kings game late. You don't get to the doctor's appointment late. Because if you do, they'd be like, oh, they ain't here. Sorry. But why do we go to church? Oh, late. Can I tell you why? Can I tell you why? It's a sign of disrespect. Coming to church late shows why you're really here. It's about you, not him. Tell your neighbor we're having big boy church today. Big boy church. I can't always serve you cookies and milk, y'all. Come on. Because I want you to understand how this thing is supposed to work in the new year. We can't have a Christianity that sacrifices the Lord nothing. Elisha knew this in in 1 Kings 18. Y'all know the story. The prophet Elijah is faced with a time where Israel is having the worst drought that they ever had. There's no rain in the land. Things are dying. People are dying. But that's not the only problem. Israel has also started pursuing other gods. And they're starting to worship Baal. They're starting to offer sacrifices unto another god. Elijah's fed up, man. He goes to the Lord and God gives him a plan. Elijah calls out the prophets of Baal. And he says, you know what? Get all the uh, prophets of Baal together. Let's meet at Mount Carmel. You call on your God. I'll call on my God. And whoever, uh, whoever shows up with fire is the God we all will serve. He says, not only that, but I'm telling you, after this, rain is gonna come back to the land. And so it happens. Prophets of Baal get out and guess what they do? Even they knew they had to build an altar. 
They built an altar to a false god and they began to sacrifice things and they began to sing. Nothing happened. So Elijah steps up. Now, I'm glad Elijah wasn't like you and I. Because you and I would have just said, God, send fire. We might have prayed five, ten minutes. And we would have looked at that thing and gone, oh. Well, I guess it's not God's will that he gives us fire. Elijah didn't do that. Because Elijah was a man of principle. And this is what I'm trying to get you to understand. He understood to get God's attention, there must be a sacrifice. See, so many of you guys have been praying for things for so long, but you have not offered a sacrifice. Elijah had a prayer request. I want it to start raining again, and I want Baal to come down over our nation. He didn't just pray that. The Bible says he then prepared an altar. And on that altar, he sliced open a couple bulls, and he put those on the altar. But Elijah understood something else. It's not just about what I give. It's about giving God the best I have. And I'm sure he asked himself the question, what is the most valuable thing I could give to God right now? We're in a drought. People are dying. People, crops are dying. <clears throat> so what does he do? The Bible says he grabs three large containers of water and he digs a trench around the altar and he makes the people fill up that trench with the most valuable thing that was in the land, water. And when he gave God his best, the Bible says fire fell down from heaven. The prophets of Baal were destroyed. The altars of Baal were pulled down. And here's the greatest thing. The drought was over. See, Elijah understood first things first. I must build God an altar. And second, I must give God my best. Are you tracking with me today? Before you do anything else in 2023, after you've reconciled relationships, after you have repented, you must be conscious of the altar that you are building, which is this church. And you must be conscious that every time you come into these doors, you are not coming into a service where we serve you. You are coming into an altar to present something to God. And what do you present? Number one, catch this. You are required to come in here and present God your praise. He has been too good to you for you not to open your mouth and shout and sing and clap your hands and put down your pride and put down your attitude. He has been too good to you. And even when you don't like the music, you don't want to because you're tired, you got to grow up and sometimes do what you don't want to do. And you give him a sacrifice of praise. God, I'm tired this morning. I almost didn't even come. I've had a tough week, but you are good. So even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to sing a song of praise to you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to get there on time. And I'm going to spend that first portion at the altar worshiping you. Because I cannot come into your presence empty-handed. You start coming to church like that in 2023, your life's going to change. The second thing you've got to bring to God, remember we say this the three things all the time, your time, your time at the altar, your time in the altar, be here. Your treasure is your giving, your tithes and your offerings. But the third thing is your talent. Don't be the kind of Christian that just comes to, to God to take. Don't come to the house of God just to take. Bring something. Why is it so important to bring something? Because remember, in the kingdom, when you give to a king, he is obligated to give back to you. Why would I not want to give God my measly 10% knowing that when I do, he is going to multiply back to me that which I give. Mark, uh, Luke 6, 38. 
Why would I want to not want to give God my time? When if I give God my time, he will multiply it back to me. You say, how does he do that, pastor? How do you multiply time? We all have the same amount of time on the clock. How can it be multiplied? He can make it more meaningful. Let me give you an example. When I give God time, he can then make my time with my wife more fruitful. He can make my time with my kids more impactful because I first gave him time. Some of you don't give God time. And so your time don't mean much. It don't mean much. Whatever you give to God, he multiplies back to you. Guys, what I'm trying to get you to see is in 2023, you've got to understand the God you serve. He's not like anything else or anyone else. When you offer him a sacrifice, he sacrifices back to you. It comes, it comes down to this entire thing, right? It comes back to this. God is not trying to take something from you. He is trying to get something to you. We know the tithe is referred to as a test in the Hebrew language. It's a test of our hearts. I want to leave you with Malachi chapter 3 in the Old Testament. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi is an interesting book. The first two chapters deal with Israel in the Old Covenant. But in Malachi chapter three, all of a sudden, he starts talking to us in the new covenant. How do we know? Because in in verses one through five, he begins to describe when the messenger of God comes, meaning Jesus. And he's not talking about the first time Jesus comes. Because in this time the messenger comes, he comes to bring judgment. And he begins to break down that when the messenger comes that I'm prophesying to you about, he's gonna judge all adulterers. He's going to judge all sin. He's going to judge murderers. He's going to judge all these things. See, none of that took place at the first coming of Jesus Christ. The world didn't even know Jesus was there. He was born in a manger. What Malachi chapter one is talking to us about is the second coming. And he leaves us with this. And and you need to read this on your own. Malachi chapter three. He leaves us with this. When he comes, you'll be put on trial. And I will judge those that have, have, have been defrauders, have been, he goes on to list these things, sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, people playing games with God. He says, you better be careful because the second coming ain't gonna be like the first. He's coming to bring judgment. And he says, get yourself ready for the judgment. Go ahead and put that, that scripture on the screen there, guys. And in the middle of that, he says, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you turned away from my decrees and you've not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how do we return to you? Now, this is where it gets interesting. He's speaking to us. He's saying, get ready because the messenger's coming. Jesus is coming to the earth. But this time when he comes, he's not coming in a manger. He's coming to bring judgment. He's coming to sift the wheat in the tares. He's coming to get, take his sons and daughters. He's coming to judge the unrighteous. So he says, get ready, return to me. And so the response of the people is, well, how do we return to you? You ready for this? He says this, will a, mortal, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? He says, in tithes and offerings. They say, how do we come back to you, God? You know what God says? Reinstitute the sacrifice. Reinstitute the sacrifice. We're in a time right now where America needs this word. Because too many Christians are claiming, I'm a Christian, but you offer God nothing. The language that God uses to the people of God is this. Why in the world would you try to rob me? How are we robbing you, God? He says, you bring me no sacrifice. Listen, let me keep reading. In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw up, throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. See, what he begins to tell him is this. You want to come back to me? Reinstitute the sacrifice. Guys, ask yourself this. What do you sacrifice unto the Lord? Do you just come to church to get a good feeling, to get a word, to get encouragement? That's cool. But do you bring nothing to the Lord? Do you come in when it's praise and worship time and not praise? You don't give him praise? Listen, if you're a member of this house, you should serve the house. Come to team night in a couple weeks. Sign up for a department. One Sunday a month is all that we ask of you to come in and serve your brothers and sisters. If you have kids, serve one Sunday a month in kids ministry. Got real quiet in here, amen. Everybody else is serving yours. They serve yours every week. Why don't you just go, you know what? I got kids in there. I'll serve one week. I'll serve one time a week, a month, I mean. And the church said? See, it's a different mentality. We got people looking for a church where I could go. I could sit in the balcony. Nobody sees if I'm worshiping or not. Buckets come by. I don't have to put anything in. Nobody knows. I could be the first one in. uh, I could be the last one in, the first one out. Come on. How many know what I'm talking about? You come in late so you don't have to talk to nobody. You leave first so you don't have to talk to anybody. Because you don't want to even give conversation. You don't want to even give anybody time. I ain't got time for nobody. I just came in here to get a word and I got my word and I'm getting out of here. Jesus had a word for people that went to God's house like that. He called them thieves. Thieves are people that come to take without paying a price. Church, what your pastor is trying to do to you today is teach you. That's not, that's no way to serve God. Serving God like that produces no results. Your heart will never change. Salvation will never take. And here you want to hear something else? You won't last. Part of why some of our walks with God are so shaky is you're not vested. You want to know what that word vested means? Comes from, that's where where we get the word invest. How many know if you invest in Nike, you got skin in the game? Now, I don't invest in Nike. I invest in their clothes. I, I buy their clothes but I don't give a rip how the company's doing. Amen. If they go down, who cares? I don't give a rip. If they're doing well, they had a good quarter. I could care less. But if I invested in the company, how many know I'm checking the stock market? I'm looking, oh, who they hire as the new CEO. Oh, they're doing great. Awesome. Praise God. Because I'm vested. It's time you get vested in the house of God. Pastor, I try. I want to come to church, man. Just, it never works out. Get vested. You'll be here. Get vested. You'll be here. God wants you to have a heart after him and his house. But you got to give something. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. I like what Jesus says in the New Testament, right? Luke 14, 33. He said it like this. In the same way, Any of you who does not give up everything, he cannot be my disciple. This is Jesus' words. You know what Jesus is saying here? If you won't sacrifice, you won't make it. Jesus preached that. Jesus preached that. Oh, pastor, that seems so hard. It only seems hard if you don't know God. When you understand the ways of the kingdom, you understand when God is requiring something of me, it's not because he's trying to take something from me, he's trying to get something to me. God tells Abraham, give me your only son, your promise, give it to me, sacrifice him to me. 
Abraham says, okay. And you want to know why Abraham says, okay? It's like I said earlier, he understood the God he served. So because Abraham was willing to give his only son, God says, well, that's it. Jesus, get ready. You're going to the earth and you're going to be the sacrifice for all humanity. Because if Abraham was willing to give me his son, I'm required to give him mine. Are you tracking with me today? Anything you give to God, God gives back to you in greater quality, quantity, and kind. Luke 6, 36 and 38. So you should walk out of here here after hearing a message like this and be like, man, God is getting to bless my socks off. He's getting ready. He's going to start blessing me in this year because as I start giving God my talent, my treasure, and my time, he is now obligated to multiply those things back to me. And that's a good place for you to get excited. Can I get an amen on that? Well, I hope you've been encouraged by the word of God. And if you have, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast or download our free app at the App Store and you can continue to get word every week from Elevate Life Church.